is Susan Finch with All Volunteer All Heart from Binky Patrol, and I am here with the nephew of one Carolyn Barrett, and I have Eric Barrett with me, and I am so excited to finally get to talk to him because I've heard about him for years from his proud uncle and proud auntie, and Eric is here now, and I want him to tell his story because I think it has something for more people than you might realize, and it might not be you directly, but it might be touching somebody that you know. So Eric, welcome. Well, thank you for that great introduction. I really appreciate the fanfare. <laughs> um, so I guess we got to go back a few years, and uh, I guess this is kind of like a buildup. We'll start with the low point, and we'll get to the high points of my life. Okay. So years back, right after middle school, my father actually was diagnosed with cancer. And so he probably spent about six months in the hospital. And I would call that probably some of the most trying times of both my life and my mother's life. And so imagine I'm graduating from middle school, I'm going off to a new high school where none of my friends are going. And then I'm sitting pretty much a large part of my summer just sitting in the hospital watching my dad go through cancer. And of course, I'm watching his body decay. I'm watching terrible things happen to him. I'm watching him have seizures. And for a 14 year old's brain, this is definitely not the best thing you can experience. And it's kind of like these early scars in my brain that started to form. And so I was obviously very scared. I was watching like my whole life collapse around me. It was just me, my mom and my father. And it was a very, very scary time in my life because I was thinking to myself, like up until this point in my life, it had always been like, like everything's okay. My family's safe, but I didn't really know what was going to happen at that point. And then I started getting more anxious. I started becoming depressed. Unfortunately, I started getting to the point where I was cutting my wrists and having very scary thoughts in my head, we'll say. And then unfortunately, um, during that summer between the eighth and ninth grade, my father passed away. And so it was, it was a major shock to me and my family because originally we anticipated that he would survive, but unfortunately he did not. And so that was definitely, definitely a shock for me because it was like, how am I going to continue on in my life? Like I, I couldn't imagine a world without my father, but I was in it. And so I was no longer in kind of like that sheltered life that I'd always been in. And that was a major shock for me. So obviously my depression didn't get better at that point. It started getting worse. And then I transferred into a new high school where I probably knew about one or two people out of the whole school. For the first year in high school, I actually did okay. I was able to like make new friends, talk to new people. And like, as my mom called it, I kind of made like a table of misfits of random people that I kind of just picked up along the way people that also didn't have friends but by the end of the school year we had a pretty strong group going i'd say that i kind of cruised through that first year of high school and i obviously i was still depressed but i was very numb to a lot of my emotions and then in my sophomore year everything started to fall apart i started becoming severely depressed again as the numbness kind of wore off and like the grief of my father came back right and i was i almost became infunctional and so what happened was I actually, I remember I actually had to leave school for almost like four to six weeks because I was just, I, I was so anxious. I couldn't even get out of bed and go to school in the morning. Like that was just way too scary of a prospect for me. I remember I was probably getting about two hours of sleep a night. I was also put on antidepressants at the time. So I got to the point where I would walk halfway up the stairs in my house and not be able to make it to the top of the stairs. Because I would just, I, I was, I had so little motivation and like happiness or desire to do anything. And I would just lay on the stairs for hours because it was too hard to make it to the top of the stairs. 
And I remember just having like panic attacks because I was like, I was fearing things. I was just so afraid of like what was happening. I actually started failing out of my classes. Like I got both an F in like my math classes and my computer science classes, ironically. Even yes, like very class. ironic. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I couldn't, like, again, I wasn't even going to school and I was, I was having suicidal thoughts. I was cutting again. It was terrible. And um, I honestly thought my life was over at that point because I was essentially failing out of high school. I couldn't imagine myself going to college at that point because I'm like, what college is going to take a student that is essentially failed out of high school? And I couldn't really see a future for me anymore. And like, it was, it was devastating to me because it was like, up, like, I thought up until that point, like, everything was going to be okay. And then, like, it all just like came crumbling down. And I was like, this is over. There is no more hope. And I was very, very afraid, anxious. And quite honestly, I didn't, I didn't really want to live anymore. I was very fortunate because I not only had like a, a loving family, but I also had a lot of people around me that cared for me. And um, my mother, she really went to bat for me. I really can't understate that if it wasn't for my mother, I probably wouldn't be here today. And I mean that in a very literal way. So my mother, she definitely put in the extra effort to keep me going. And what she did is like when I withdrawed from like school for like six weeks, she put me in like her own, I'll call like inpatient therapy, except like at homes, which so normally inpatient therapy, you would go, you would be like basically removed from society and like put in like a mental health institution where you're pretty much living there. I almost was put like inpatient like that, but my mother actually basically built her own like custom network of like therapists and psychiatrists. And like, I basically be going to therapy like three or four times a week. And like going through that, I started getting a lot better. Um, my mom also realized as like, as so did I, it was like, I, I didn't feel like high school was working out for me well. So I did something called the California or the Chesby, which was basically, I got my high school degree from the state of California rather than my school. So I took an exit exam essentially. Mm -hmm. And so at 16 years old, I had my uh, high school diploma. And then I also moved instead of going to like normal high school, I was moved to like a hybrid online school where I only had to go like four hours a day and I could go online. And I was slowly able to start like recovering. And admittedly, yes, I was I'd still like failed out of all my classes. But I, I at least I was able to breathe. Now I was able mm -hmm. to kind of like recover a bit. And I was finally able to start like seeing like, okay, like, today isn't so terrible. Like I got more than two hours of sleep today. I, I don't feel like I'm not like thinking of different ways to suffocate myself with the pillow. Like today was today was a good day. And it, it's it's kind of like there where you start like gaining like appreciation for the small things in life. Because like, I mean, from day to day, like life can seem terrible. Right. And like just as like a normal human. Right. And but when you go through the point of your life where you're, you're kind of willing to end it all and you're like, this is like there's no point anymore. Just being able to wake up day to day and like seeing the sun and realizing like, hey, like, like I'm, I'm here, I'm alive. Like you really gain some appreciation for that. And it was like, it was kind of at that point when I was like, I really want my life to go better. I'm going to do like everything I can to just like make my life as good as possible and not only help my own life, but try and help other people that have gone through things like this. Because obviously, like I've experienced this terrible pain. I don't want other people to experience the same thing. So what I did is I... After my sophomore year of high school, I actually just went straight to college. I went to community college and I started it off slow. I took like three classes. It was and I was just trying to like kind of get back into the pace of like, you know, yeah. living life, being normal. And like as I went and I started getting a little bit better at school, like my depression started to go away and I started realizing like, hey, I do have a future. And like 
I had previously fallen behind my peers because obviously I was essentially like a high school dropout. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just I was like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to let this take me down and I'm going to do my best to try and get ahead of my peers. And so I kind of went a little crazy in community college. I started taking like 22 units a semester. <laughs> my <just> goodness. Like, <laughs> and like it, it was a grind for sure. But like I told myself like this is this is like my redemption. Like I may have like made mistakes in the past and I may have completely failed, but I know that I can make tomorrow better than today. Right. And so like it, it was definitely it was definitely not easy, but I told myself like today may suck, but tomorrow will be better. And so I just I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and I taking more classes and trying to learn more and, and do my absolute best and everything I did. And uh, I like eventually like I started like seeing the hope at the end of the tunnel, like, hey, I can go to a good university. I can pursue my dreams. I am capable as a human because like before I wasn't even able to climb the stairs, much less like right. function at a high level. And so this to me was amazing. Like I know a lot of people was like, well, that's that's kind of dumb. Well, if you if you were me, it, it was pretty incredible <laughs> just to be able to go to school. So yeah. that was it was definitely a good change of pace. And so I ended up when I was 18, I ended up applying to transfer to universities. So essentially, I, I, I was a sophomore at the age of eight, or we'll say 17, mm -hmm. 18, something like that. And I applied to transfer to a bunch of to a bunch of four year universities. And uh, I was very, very fortunate and my hard work paid off and I got accepted as a junior to Berkeley at the age of 18. Wow. And it was it was incredible because it's like like I was the kid who was failing out of high school. Nobody would have expected me to go to like the school of my dreams or the school of like a very, a very prestigious school, I'll say. And uh, I got in for my dream major as well, which was electrical engineering, computer sciences, which is which was incredible because like this was my dream since I was a kid, like the, right. the 13 year old me that was building computers, like, it came full circle. And now I was doing what I loved. And I thought to myself, like, there was no way I was going to be able to do this. It was too hard because I, again, failed out of high school. But no, it was it was there. And so it was like, like all the pieces of my life started clicking together. And so it's definitely been a long journey for me. But um I guess now I'm, I'm a 19 year old senior at Berkeley. I do exactly what I want to do, which is I, I study like AI and robotics. Like right now I'm doing research in autonomous vehicles, like self-driving cars. Like I, like um, we're developing like self-driving NASCARs that race at like 150 miles per hour, or like around the racetrack. Oh my god! And then also autonomous, yeah, and autonomous drones. Yeah. So from the kid that failed out of high school to the kid designing self-driving nascars it's pretty cool that is super cool i can cool. definitely say i'm very happy with where i am <laughs> i want to get back to one of the points you brought up and yeah. yes i am happy we have a happy ending for you and a happy continuation of your story because being able to first being able to see when those wins those tiny wins start to happen it isn't just that it's getting better it's that you're actually able to see it and that's what is the catalyst for turning it around. So I'm, I'm very grateful for you that that happened. But I want to get back to the part you were talking about of people like you, other kids, teens that have gone through this in our own little circle here. We had a um, friend of my son, Austin, Austin's 18. Mm -hmm. And his friend's father died from um, bone marrow cancer just a few weeks ago. Oh. 
And so the whole community is you know, reeling from that. And these boys, same thing. The older brother is graduating from college, writers graduating from high school. And it was not supposed to go this way. He was supposed to recover, which he was, and then it didn't happen. So he died, you know, at the hospital. So thinking about kids like him and others, tell me what you are doing to be supportive for others in your situ that were in your situation. I mean, the biggest thing you could do directly, like, let's say for your example, like in, in the community, I feel like, like the biggest thing is like knowing you're supported, right? Because I remember, like, by far, one of the things that made it the hardest for me was like this feeling of like, loneliness, right? Because like, again, like, as a 14 year old kid, it's very hard to like, see like the world and, and what's going on. And I remember just feeling like, like my father died, like, again, I, I'm leaving, I'm leaving this school, and I now have no friends because I'm going to a new high school, like, no, I really, I felt like, especially through, like, the eighth grade, where, like, my father was in the hospital for a long period of time, I felt like nobody knew it was happening to me, like, it was just, like, there's Eric, he's back at school again, and then, and, but, like, nobody knew that at home that I was just, like, watching my life just, like, crumble, and I feel like for situations like that, and obviously for a situation like this young man you're talking about, like, just knowing that people are there to support you is probably the, the biggest thing you can do. And it doesn't need to be something major. Like, I understand that, like, for a lot of people, it's very hard to come and approach a situation like that, especially if you've never handled, like, such, like, terrible trauma. It could be very challenging. But just saying, honestly, sometimes just saying, hey, and checking, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, I heard what happened. Or just in general, like, how are you doing today is, is important. Because the feeling of loneliness is probably one of the worst things you can experience. And I, I really hope that he's well supported. And obviously, like, I'm sure he has a great family. And I'm very sorry for what happened to him. But I also hope that like people are willing to like reach out and talk to him. Mm -hmm. that, that's by far the biggest thing you can do. And, and I will say this as well, that there's kind of like an initial surge of people that are like, oh, I'm sorry, and I'm willing to help you like after right. somebody dies. But right. like things like this can follow you for years, right? And like, that was obvious in my life years after my father died, I was I right. still did not feel too great about it, obviously. And I would say that, like, even at that point, like, it's still it's still good to, like, be there for that person. And, like, I like it's I will say that it's not it's not the greatest to be like, it's like, I don't want to say victimize people because, like, you have to remember, this is still like a normal person. Right. You right. don't want to treat them as if there's some like wounded animal that always needs your help, because that, that also doesn't feel too great, because like, right. I don't want to always be the one sitting there being like, feeling like, oh, like, I'm coming down to help you. Like, no, sometimes I just want to be a normal person. Right. Right. That's a great so would, point. That is a yeah. great perspective on that. And the the piece about the, the distance and time, because I when we were talking to his widow, Kathy, who's a dear friend, telling her this is the easy part, actually. You know, this immediate part is going to be the easiest part because it's the quiet times. That's when it hits. It's when the cycle of holidays and different things and when the food, the meal trains and everything else has subsided. And you were just left with your new situation that's emptier. That's yeah. when it's going to be the hardest. And so we've talked about it as a community. And I know Austin and his friends have talked about it. It's a constant thing, at least, you know, to include, to check in, to shake it up, do something different that he you know, didn't do with his dad before, you know, something new. And for all the other dads to be checking in as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like kind of what you like, so kind of something interesting I'll point out is like, like the holidays, at least like for my mother, especially, it was like, 
every time a holiday came around or like an anniversary or like my dad's death or like a day came in the hospital it was like a day that she just felt like terrible it was like this like cyclic reminder every year like oh this yeah. is like this is the day my dad died or this is this is like this is like christmas that we can't spend with him and like it's very hard to understand that if you didn't go through something like that but i think just like again just like realizing that like hey like this person's life is like significantly changed and like arguably for the rest of their lives right and i mean obviously there, there's like obviously things get better i i, I do want to highlight that but I do say that, like, again, being there for people is the largest thing you can do. And I mean, and for people that have like gone through similar situations, mm -hmm. it's especially important to reach out, I'd say, because one of the biggest fears that I had was that I was like the only person going through this, right? And knowing that other people have been through similar situations is actually a very comforting thing. Because like, I, I didn't really have a lot of great examples in my life of people who had like gone through something terrible like this and recovered, like, the, the classic idea in my head was like something like this happens to you and then like your life just crumbles like I was afraid like the classic thing you think of is like oh like that person's like family something bad happened then they became like a drug addict and they dropped out of high school and like game over right yeah and I was afraid that was gonna be like me so also being able to see that like hey like no people like me exist and they're actually okay and like they have a good life coming down the line like that was a big deal to me and so being able to talk to people like that, that have gone through something, let's say terrible and, and gone through it and like are happy with their lives now, like being able to see right. examples like that was a big thing for me. And so for me, like one of the big things I realized is like being able to talk to people and say like, hey, like actually no, something terrible did happen to me, but like look at my life now, it's a lot better. I hope it could be a motivation to other people or at least like inspiration, like, hey, like even though my life may suck now or this is a terrible situation, it can get better later. And so like, especially for people that have gone through like terrible things, I actually think it's a great thing to talk about your story. Like you're right. Some people might get irritated if you go around just like telling every pe people that like, oh, like this terrible thing happened to me, which I get, <laughs> but I don't think hiding it is a great idea either because all you're doing is you're hurting yourself first of all, because you're not getting yourself the help you need. And second, you're also hurting other people indirectly, right? Because pe right. when people have a community of, of, of like, of people have gone through similar situations. It's a very empowering feeling. And so I, I just like to highlight that like, it's good to talk to people. We'll say that. I think it, it's a good point for people to remember. And you just touched on that, that it's still, it's always going to be a part of your makeup because it gets added into us. But the difference is between wallowing in it, being paralyzed by it, it doesn't define you. It's in there, but it is not the definition of you. You know, when people have terrible things, like my husband, he's an amputee. But that isn't how I introduce him. Hi, this is my husband, Tom. He's an amputee. You know, it's, this is my husband, Tom. He's hilarious and cynical. And he happens to be an amputee if it comes up. You know, if it's, you know, we go on and go hiking. It's like, no, he's not going. But it does not define him. You know. So are you doing no, anything? I think, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Are you doing anything with others? For some reason, I thought you had created some kind of organization or speaking thing or something where you were engaging with others to kind of raise awareness on the needs to speak openly about this loss, especially with teens, especially with young adults. So I've done a few things, I guess, if you, if you want to like be like specific about actions I've taken. I think like 
again like the biggest thing i could highlight is like just being in your community and willing to talk about it just like as a general rule of thumb for anybody but i guess if we want to like wind back the clock of like things i've done i guess the the first big thing i did is actually when i was 14 when i was a freshman in high school and like right after my life had completely fallen apart i actually gave a tedx talk and it was it was pretty it was at, it was at my high school and it was essentially about like like everybody thinks i'm this i'm i'm like this this person that is okay and i'm doing pretty well in school and i'm part of this like accelerated program whatever but like i'm always wearing a mask right i'm always hiding my my um my true self because mm -hmm. so, like it, it, when you're depressed or when you're going through any bad situation the instinct is to like hide it away hide away all the emotions right and the whole notion of that talk was like look just because somebody looks like they're okay then there's a good chance they're just wearing a mask and it's a good idea to take that mask off and let people see the true you because you're never going to make deep connections with people you're, you're always going to struggle to have people understand you if you're not willing to talk about who you truly are and like what like what you're talking about with your husband like it doesn't define you it's not like this is not your core personality trait but it is a part of you right it is a part of your story and, and like hiding off that part of yourself is only going to hurt you right and so i think i think being very open about yourself is a big thing so that i guess that tedx talk was the first thing i guess kind of going later is like when i was very depressed i attended a trauma camp which is basically you go on like I'll call it like a retreat for one weekend and you go with a bunch of other people who've had terrible things happen to them. I mean, like we're talking like people that have been orphans their whole lives, people that have gone through sexual abuse. I mean, the gamut. I think that was kind of like the first, like one of the, the first times I realized like, hey, like your story has like a lot of power because I remember at the beginning, like people were very unwilling to talk about the things that happened. I was just like, okay, what if I just tell my story and I talk out loud and I, and I, I say like, hey, like this is me. These are the terrible things that have happened to me. And then you notice that like once you do that, other people are starting to open up because it's kind of like I kind of say like, like your story can be the key to unlocking somebody's heart, because yes. if you're if, yes. if like, if you're the one being closed off, and somebody else is being closed off, like it's kind of like a lack of trust, right? Like, they're not going to trust you because like, you could hurt me if I tell you about my demons. But what but right. what if I tell you about mine instead first? And like, that's kind of like the golden key to people's hearts and just being honest, and it doesn't need to be a devastating story like the one I've talked about today or, or <laughs> any other one. But just being like open and being willing to talk about it, you'll be surprised how many people are opening to are willing to open up and talk to you. I'm trying to like go down the Rolodex in my brain. I guess more recently, I actually took an interview a few days ago for kind of like a motivational speech thing for college students. I'm not entirely sure how that's going, but essentially it was kind of like kind of in the same vein of this where it's like, Tell me about your story. Tell me about like what you did and, and how you got there. And like, and then we're going to like use your story and your challenges and how you overcame them to help other people. And so I, apparently that's going to be turned into like, like a motivational keynote or something like this. We'll see. All how right. That's fantastic. And yeah. that I agree with you hundred percent. It's even true though, in business, in sales and everything else that when you are willing to be vulnerable, when you are willing, it allows people to trust you and to tell you about them. And I do, I had one friend and she was saying, gosh, your friends all have these awful things happening to them. And so yours do too, but you don't open up enough for them to ever tell you. Yeah. That people trust me and they'll tell me all these things because I'm just an open book. And it allows them to relax and to finally exhale 
and tell their story. And I think that's the greatest gift we can give to others is the willingness to be honest, to be vulnerable, and then to shut up and listen. Yeah, I think that is better well said than I ever could. That's, that's perfectly, <laughs> that's exactly correct. It, it's I, I think I was I was definitely surprised when I when I first started talking to people like and realizing like how many people are actually suffering in their lives. And like, it's, it's quite honestly, I don't want to say the majority of people, but it's a lot more than you'd ever expect. Yes. And there's a lot of demons in people, but people always hide those demons away. I know it's easier because sometimes they're not willing to look at them themselves because it's super scary. And so again, allowing people to be able to let them out a little bit. And it also depletes the power of them. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's incredibly well said. Well, Eric, I this is, I think, just the first of a few visits, because I would like to, as you are permitted to come back in from one of my other podcasts and talk to you about AI and race cars. Yeah, yeah sure. I'd love to talk about because it. that is amazing. And I am so fascinated by that. I love race cars. And to be able to hear about that process, whatever you're allowed to divulge, I can't wait for that. And for this episode, this very special episode of All Volunteer, All Heart from Binky Patrol, folks, go find us at binkypatrol.show or in your favorite podcast apps. Share this story with somebody who needs to hear it. Maybe it's the spouse of somebody. Maybe it's the child of somebody. Maybe you just need to listen to it a couple of times to get some ideas on how to better support somebody in your community that may be silently hurting. Eric, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Well, I suppose I should have mentioned it. I didn't mention it earlier. I like kind of like the, the end goal for me is like always been like to be successful in my own career and then hopefully give back when I'm older and I'm more successful, I'll say. And well, so the I thing hope, you can do now, I can make though. a change. Yeah, but you don't need to wait until you have a whole bunch of financial success. The gift of your time is the most precious gift yeah. you have. That's true. There's never any barrier to giving time. An hour a month, folks, we're always telling you guys, one hour a month can change a life. So think about it if you gave four hours. There's four lives plus whoever they know. So take that challenge, everybody. Find an hour somewhere. Make a blanket. They're not that hard. And that blanket can comfort somebody or comfort a couple somebodies to know that somebody cares because that's what we all want to know. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. So thank you again, Eric. It was a pleasure to have you on. This podcast is sponsored by Impact for Good at impact4good.com. Impact for Good is the one source for bringing community service to your next event. Excited and engaging team building activities are just part of what they offer. Let them identify the best cause or beneficiary to support, manage the donation logistics, and bring the spirit of community service to your group. From your initial request through the day of your event, Impact for Good handles all the details. Be sure to visit them at impact4good.com. That's impact for good. 